Hello and welcome to our fifth podcast in the FinTech in Focus series. I'm Matt O'Callaghan, Head of our Financial Services Practice here in Hong Kong. And today we're talking about Buy Now, Pay Later. We're going to look at some of the emerging trends and risks in the sector. I'm joined by two of my colleagues in Europe, Janina Heinz, a counsel based in our Frankfurt office, a financial services expert uh, who specialises in support for our financial services M&A. Hi, Janina. Hi there. And we're also joined by Eugene McQuaid, a senior consultant in our EU regulatory and public affairs practice in Brussels. And Eugene has a particular focus on financial services and technology in Europe. Hi, Eugene. Hi, Mark. So buy now, pay later, or BNPL. Let's sort of get into the, the content here. The solutions come in many different guises, but you know, at their simplest, uh, they're really just a means by allowing a consumer generally a consumer, to buy a good now and to pay it off over a series of instalments. The BNPL providers are seen as facilitating two key objectives in their pitch to both consumers and merchants. One is a seamless purchasing experience for the consumer. And two, it's to really help drive sales conversions and increase the average uh, order value for merchants. We've seen many BNPL players uh, develop their own ecosystems as well as successfully integrating their products into the many point of sale options and a merchant's checkout. So why is the BNPL sector so interesting? Well, it's interesting because it was growing rapidly before COVID, but once COVID came through, we saw that real acceleration in digitization, uh, and that drove a lot of merchant adoption as they moved to online platforms, but also consumer demand. Uh, and as we constantly see new providers and business models emerging, with that, we're seeing just a rapid evolution of the buy now, pay later sector. So whilst many talk about it as the new frontier in consumer credit, uh, challenging the traditional domain of credit cards, at its core, uh, the product has really been successful through its simplicity. It's dispensed with many of the detailed background and onboarding checks. It's often integrated at the point of sale, and it allows the purchaser to make much larger purchases by splitting their payments into more affordable chunks spread out over weeks or months without affecting their credit histories. But that kind of flexibility is not just for consumers. We're also seeing this enticing small and medium-sized businesses to assist with cash flow payment for the management of paying their suppliers. And we don't really see it as a replacement for the traditional means, but rather as a parallel or a complementary solution to traditional payment offerings. And this can be seen through the evolution for many of our credit card providers and banks and other payment service providers offering similar products. So in terms of that growth rate, it is expected that buy now, pay later will double uh, over the next two years with countries like the UK and the US catching up with early adopters, such as Northern Europe and Australia and New Zealand. But with all of that growth, you get a lot of competition and often regulation. That competition is being constrained by losses and cooling evaluations, and regulation is emerging from the high penetration with consumers. So let's start to look at a couple of those trends. Yanita, I might turn to you first. How is the, the buy now, pay later market landscape been shaping up, and, and what sort of market trends are you seeing? Thank you, Matt. Well, as you have mentioned, buy now, pay later is one of the hottest trends in financial services and retail at the moment, attracting resources, investment, M&A, and litigation pressure, as well as regulatory attention in many countries. So buy now, pay later is not a new area of finance. However, it is gaining momentum, especially with Generation Z and millennials. 
more online consumers are turning to buy now, pay later. And it is expected that up to 10% of all online transactions will involve the use of BNPL loans by 2025. While buy now, pay later as a payment option has become popular amongst younger people, the option has also gained interest from merchants. Several retailers and online marketplaces have added BNPL options in the past year to boost their sales. The critical value proposition in buy now, pay later is that it helps boost average order values and purchase rates, both key revenue drivers. Furthermore, buy now, pay later checkout options are seamlessly incorporated into retailer web and mobile sites, which do not require developer resources. This trend can be observed across nearly all geographical markets. You know, it's really interesting because yeah, in Asia, you've got a real sort of split in terms of the way that the banking system operates. What we're seeing is in some of the more developed markets like Australia and New Zealand, it's been an increasingly popular way for shoppers to pay. As we look across some of the other sectors uh, in Asia, particularly the growing middle class, who, who potentially don't have the same access to banking services, we are expecting you know, a huge potential for growth here. If we look at you know, two of the largest markets, China and India, they've already registered large growth year on year in buy now, pay later customers. And what we are seeing is a lot of the dominant payment providers there really sort of coming to the fore with their offering. And that's an, that's an easy sort of win uh, given the low uh, credit card penetration and access to formal lines of credit. I mean, if we look at some of the other markets, developed markets, say like the UK, the UK has been a bit of a hub for a lot of buy now, pay later providers. And we are seeing that notwithstanding that the UK's adoption has been a little bit slower than other parts of Europe, uh, a number of the firms have based themselves uh, out of there. Um, so we are seeing you know, rapid adoption in markets like the UK as well. And for consecutive years, uh, we've, we've seen that as the fastest growing online payment method there. Well, thank you, Matt. Here in Germany, open invoices or pay after delivery is also a popular payment method, especially checkout lending solutions and open installments. In view of existing financial services regulation in Germany, the offering of the buy now, pay later provider is often structured as a factoring solution whereby the buy now, pay later provider acquires the purchase price claims of the merchants, offering their customers to pay later or in installments. What we also observe is that more companies are acquiring and developing their BNPL products. Traditional banks are also expanding in this area. In the second half of 2021, for instance, we saw an acquisition of a buy now, pay later provider by a leading global bank, which is aiming to boost its consumer finance unit as well as the establishment of a strategic collaboration between another European bank with an online marketplace to launch a new buy now, pay later product for online shoppers in the UK and Germany. And maybe last, another sign for the continuing growth of buy now, pay later offerings is that we also observe buy now, pay later providers to sell their claims to investors in order to reduce their balance sheet impact. So after having observed those trends, Eugene, what are the regulatory trends and direction of travel in different regions? Thanks, Janina. So the, the regulatory landscape for buy now, pay later is fractured. Um, and I would say that the, the countries that are looking at this are, you know, the, the driver really is the, the concerns of, of consumers. So I think the UK uh, FCA's Willard review was something that really put the regulation of, of such products on, on our, as well as our, our clients' radars. And since then, we have seen other countries and jurisdictions start to explore regulation, uh, perhaps more predominantly in the EU, uh, but also in, in APAC. 
At EU level, uh, there's a piece of legislation has been brought forward by the European Commission updating the Consumer Credit Directive, uh, which dates back to 2008. And one of the, the most important features of this revision is the proposed extension of the scope uh, to cover buy now, pay later products. This proposal is still in the, let's say, the early stages. It's going through the, the legislative process, which usually lasts around 12 to 18 months. So we still don't have regulation in Europe, but it's something we can expect in the, the next year, or year and a half. There are many interesting aspects of this proposed legislation uh, which are worth discussing, including, for example, a, a potential obligation for member states to set interest rate caps. Um, but really, I would say a lot of the focus at the moment, at least in the political discourse, is on the, on the scope itself. Matt mentioned earlier that you know, COVID really has accelerated a number of trends, and one of them has really been consumers shopping online and, and transacting online. But the, the pandemic has been a, a very difficult time for many and rising household indebtedness is also raising concerns about the risks of, of new innovative credit products. We've seen, for example, in the debates, discourse about the dangers of, of different types of credit products and not limited to buy now, pay later. So, for example, we had a, a discussion where one of the, the members of the European Parliament who, who leads on the proposal evoked a kind of a horrible example of an advertisement he saw in Warsaw written in Ukrainian and offering credit to refugees with over 200% interest. And so there's lots of different examples of how, you know, people are being taken advantage of, you know, their high interest rates. And so there's a lot of focus of, about trying to address the risks. Uh, but I think a lot of the discussion does also show that there's a lack of awareness as to sort of what buy now, pay later actually is and the, the different types of, of credit offerings. At the moment, however, I think the political momentum is for them to be included uh, within the scope. Uh, what would that mean? Uh, that would mean that they would be subject to at least some of the provisions of the Consumer Credit Directive, uh, for example, requirements around pre-contractual information, restrictions to the use of product tying, pre-tick boxes, and rules around assessing credit worthiness. And I think in these legislative discussions, we've also heard a lot of interesting related concerns that are worth paying attention for such providers around financial inclusion and discrimination. Uh, one of those links to the type of data that's being used, and another on the use of AI in the in the credit granting process. So I think uh, everyone will be familiar with the, the general uh, data protection regulation and the EU sort of upholds its high levels of, of data protection across the world. But we are increasingly hearing calls for the use of data to be limited in the, the credit process. So limiting really to strictly uh, necessary financial data and having additional protections on the use of uh, sensitive personal data, for example, health. Um, and the European Parliament is also discussing a, a potential ban on targeted advertising or personalized advertising in this context. And we're also hearing sort of, let's say, similar discussions around the use of AI. So AI in the, uh, in the credit context potentially being categorized as high risk under a, a parallel piece of legislation uh, known as the AI Act. We're seeing a lot of, I think, trends, uh, regulatory trends that it's certainly worth uh, paying close attention to. And um, maybe just, um, you know, before looking at some of the other jurisdictions, maybe just to emphasize that, you know, this isn't all about addressing risks. This is also about promoting innovation in Europe. Uh, and so certainly policymakers are trying to make sure that some of the, let's say, benefits are, are certainly um, taken into account. So 
making sure consumers are have adequate information whenever they're paying on smartphones, uh, but are not overwhelmed and they're still able to easily transact and get credit, as well as removing certain obstacles to financial innovation, such as paper uh, requirements. So it will be interesting to see sort of as this evolves to what extent the European regime will promote innovation or, or hinder it. I mentioned at the very beginning, you know, the UK was the driver from a regulatory perspective. And so we, we had a public consultation, uh, which ended in January, uh, and we expect to see next steps shortly. And it'll be interesting to see to what extent there's alignment between the EU and the UK approaches post-Brexit. So that's uh, a little bit on the regulatory trends from the EU and the UK. Matt, to what extent are you seeing similar trends in, in APAC or the US? Thanks, Eugene. You know, I think what we're seeing in Asia is it's really driven by the development of buy now, pay later in each of those markets. Uh, if we look at uh, Australia and Singapore uh, as, as two examples, they're probably a little bit further down the track in terms of adoption. Uh, so we, we have started to see noises being made by the regulators there and, and you know, a, a shift towards looking at, at um, these products as, as consumer finance uh, products. Uh, and so you know, making sure that the, the right levels of protections are there. If you look at the MAS um, sort of concerns, you know, that it really does come back to consumer finance. In Australia, AFIA, which is an industry body comprised of the key buy now, pay later players, um, they've developed a code of practice uh, that has now been adopted. But, you know, I think similar to the UK, we're expecting to see some regulatory changes come through towards the, the back end of, of this year or early next year. If we look across to Singapore, uh, the FinTech Association has been leading a working group uh, in that regard, and they're, they're also looking at developing a framework for the local market there. And similar to Australia, look, we're looking at you know, protecting consumer interests, uh, ensuring that you promote innovation and consumer safeguards, similar to what you were discussing uh, for Europe, uh, and are just upholding that fairness and transparency uh, and, and inclusivity uh, of these products, which is always key um, at that consumer level. There's pretty limited information across the other markets. Certainly, we've seen China take an approach uh, in respect of certain payment providers uh, around these types of instalment products, but otherwise, we haven't seen a lot by way of regulation at this stage. If we were to flip and, and contrast that with the US, very similar to a lot of Asia, uh, the penetration is still quite low. I think you know we're, we're talking about sort of two percent levels, but rapidly growing, uh, and I think similar to. Uh, so like the crypto products that have started to come into to the limelight, uh, we have started to see some movements by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau looking at BNPL and, and what measures need to be adopted in order to protect consumers. So I think there's more to come on that. Maybe just sort of like going back, uh, if we look across, I guess, that, that panacea of, of development uh, in the different markets, I think this year should be quite interesting for the buy now, pay later industry. Uh, we are going to start to see regulation creep in and that's going to have an effect on some firms more than others that may sort of slow down some of the growth i don't think it's going it's certainly not going to eliminate the growth but i think you know as, as we see you know measures being taken to ensure that um you know providers are assessing affordability and that they are sort of conducting credit and identity checks across different providers to, to reduce the risk of fraud or you know the potential for, for large-scale defaults but that, that's also going to be offset by increased compliance costs. And so, you know, I, I think that will sort of put pressure on consolidation in the industry, given we've seen uh, an explosion of the number of players. And, and I know, Yanina, you're going to 
come on to that very shortly. I think the final point I would make just around regulation uh, is there are a number of traditional factoring firms and other consumer finance providers that have viewed BNPL as having an unfair advantage. And so there are aspects of that that are being considered um, to make sure that uh, regulation sort of brings them in line with a lot of their traditional counterparts. And, and, and I think with that will come, I guess, legitimization of this as a, as a payment option. Not that it is Ill- illegitimate, but I think whenever you see regulation and, and frameworks being put around things, you do just tend to get a, a wider array of adoption. So perhaps just back to that consolidation point, Yanina, uh, you know, what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, that we should be keeping an eye out for and be mindful of? So in addition to what we have just discussed now, there are just a few points that I would like to highlight. BNPL companies are announcing global ambitions and expansion plans with universal appeal, meaning borders may be less important for the industry than for other fintechs. And it is often consolidation that allows such global expansion to different markets and allows companies to apply fundamental learnings from one market to another and widen their customer range by partnering with entities with a global presence. However, at the same time, regulatory change should be closely followed, as this may also result in different standards to be observed across geographical markets. Maybe one point to mention in addition, and this links to what I said earlier, is that whilst we have a data protection framework in place, it looks like falling under regulation specifically dealing with consumer credit will mean additional scrutiny on the the use of data and the use of AI. Uh, And so at a time where data is being very much freed up and where we are seeing mass adoption of AI, there may potentially be a a limitation or at least additional restrictions uh, on their usage by credit providers. Thank you, Eugene. And maybe just as a separate point, what we're also seeing is increased competition from banks and other traditional payment providers, which could challenge many of the existing by now pay later providers. These traditional players are now looking for ways to get involved in the BNPL market either through partnerships, M&A, or through their own development. And this is a point, Matt, you have already touched upon. Those traditional players might actually have an edge in attracting older demographics by relying on their brands and familiarity to ease any remaining consumer concerns. So thanks, Yanina and Eugene. We might wrap it up there. It's been a really quick canter through the NPL landscape. I think if I was to take three sort of key takeaways from today's session, We have touched on some of the headwinds that are coming by way of regulation, competition and and constrained valuations. But growth is likely to remain strong over the short to medium term. Uh, We haven't seen any easing off of that um, that constant growth rate. And and whilst regulation is coming down the pipe, we think it is likely to focus on the consumer protection aspects. Uh, And that's likely to be a a review of fees. Um, So there's a lot of indirect fees that are associated with the product. Um, but also just looking at credit checks, affordability, and, and the nature of do- documentation disclosures that are used with consumers. And then finally, I guess with valuations and the ongoing need for funding uh, of BNPL entrants, we do think that that's going to continue to drive consolidation in the sector. And we've already started to see some movement here. Uh, whilst we've seen some of the larger players being, I guess, swept up, I think a lot of the smaller providers are going to need to look uh, to to bring themselves together in order to um, generate sufficient scale uh, in order to be successful. So thank you for joining us today. If you haven't listened to our other podcasts in the FinTech in Focus series, I encourage you to uh, head head across uh, and, and join some of those. 
We've got an exciting program lined up for the rest of the year. And we also uh, post a number of blogs to our Freshfields TQ uh, page on our uh, freshfields.com homepage. But thank you again from uh, me, Yanina and Eugene.